Like, if I held my dog's collar and threw a ball, it would go crazy. Like, it would be trying to bite me, it'd be like agitated, like, ah, why, why are you letting me catch this ball, man? And as soon as I let him go, poof, he's happy. And I'm the same. When I've got an idea, I just have to do it. It's like the terrier in me just has to chase it. To most people, completing an Ironman triathlon is an achievement of a lifetime. But Sean Conway is not like most people. And completing one Ironman is simply not enough for him. This year, Sean set the record for the most consecutive full iron distance triathlons in a row, which means he swam 2.4 miles, cycled 112, and then finished with a marathon every day 105 days in a row. Just oh, there's no passion though. I hate it. Like, I hate doing them. Like, they're horrible, they're tired, I, I'm miserable the whole time. Then why? I don't know, I just have to do it. Because if I don't do it, I'm unhappy. Sean is a professional endurance athlete, and so much of this conversation breaks down how he was able to achieve this record-breaking feat. Well, there's two types of pain, right? There's pain that'll lead to long-term injury. Then the other pain is just, like, fatigue pain. I, that stuff doesn't really bother me. And it's only with experience over the last... 15 years or whatever that I've sort of managed to know the difference. In this conversation, we break down Sean's 11 pillars of endurance. We talk about how he overcame the failure of his first attempt a year before. We discuss the state of sponsorship for athletes, what Sean would do differently if he did this again, how he plans to keep challenging himself on shorter stuff going forwards, and why we should all buy his postcard. Buy my postcard, send it to me, and I'll send you a copy of one of my books. In my drawer here, I have only oh, two, two that have ever been sent to me. Wow. <laughs> okay. That's all coming up on episode 11 of Great British Adventures. I have to start by asking, how is your body? <laughs> how is your heart? And how is your mind? Uh, mind is good. Mind's very good. Mind's always good, to be fair. It's probably my superpower. Uh, my heart was good. I got that checked. So we're happy days there. Body still failing me a little bit. Yeah, just like I'm motivated to do stuff. And I did a double iron this last weekend, a continuous, but I was slow. Just had no power. Just, yeah. So I don't know. Take another few months, I guess, for that to come back. Whereabouts are you feeling this? Uh, legs, mainly. Just legs don't have anything. Or arms either. So on the swim, I had nothing in the arms. So there's just muscles that just need more recovery time, I guess. Um, and it's weird. I've never really felt it before because I've always really gone full recovery mode on everything else I've done, like six months. Whereas this one, I don't know, I just... I feel like I've got good base fitness. So I want to keep it. I'm, I did 90 hours a week of zone one training. I'll never do that again. So I want to somehow keep it. But obviously that's stupid. I just need to recover. Um, so yeah, I've never felt it before. And I've always said, you know, when people say, oh, you know, trying to run, for example, like 200 milers within a few months of each other is hard. And I'm like, really? Surely you could do that. Uh, but now I know what they're, what they're feeling like. Because it's just those top end percentages right it's that extra 10 percent which i'm just not feeling so the power's down the pace is down um just feeling a bit weak but yeah just it'll come it'll come i just need to be patient it's what i find very remarkable about this is you we're nearly eight weeks out from you completing 105 yeah. iron distance triathlons in a row yeah 
And if anyone anyone could achieve that challenge, they would probably think the next eight weeks, I'm not going to do anything. But you haven't. Yeah. You mentioned you did the double Ironman just this weekend gone in, yeah. in Wales. A couple of weeks before that, you ran 105 kilometers. Yeah. And I had a, an average heart rate of 105 as well. I think 105 might be my new lucky number. Why Why do you, Why are you putting yourself through this well, so soon after? When I've got an idea, I just have to do it. It's like the terrier in me just has to chase it. You know, if you throw a ball for a terrier, it'll chase it. It doesn't question it, it just chases it. And I'm sort of the same. <laughs> like I just, I don't know. I was in London for a meeting um, and then there was Car Fest that I was going to to do some talks. And I looked at the distance and I thought it was actually only going to be about 90K or 80, even 85 actually. Yeah, it was, I thought it was 85K. I thought, well, I can do 85K. Because if I just, you know, I've got all day, I'll just go slowly, I'll walk bits. Um, and if I feel like I'm getting injured, then I'll, you know, it it was following quite a popular train route as well. So I thought, right, well, I'll just take the train. So I started running, I was keeping a good pace and, you know, things just were fine. Like it hurt, of course, and I was slow. It took me, what, nearly 16 hours in total to do the 105K. Um, but, you know, once I'd got to like... 70k i thought well i'm pretty much there really so what's another 35k it's nothing really so yeah just ran the whole way it's a remarkable distance to achieve on its own it, when you were in the the pain cave on, on that particular journey mm. was your mind just going back to a few weeks before when you were completing your triathlons so weirdly that 105 was easier than every day on my on my iron man your your my your 105k run. run was yeah i felt way easier well i felt way better on that than i did on every single day of the 105 full irons yeah, yeah. so when i that's why i carried on because i was like i feel rubbish but actually i feel like this is easier than doing doing a full iron every day so i just carried on so yeah it was sort of yeah in a way the having all the other reference points of it, of misery <laughs> uh, just allowed me to carry on because I've, I've been way more miserable than in the past. Um, not that I found the 105k run easy because it's still 105k and you're still running for 16 hours. But as a comparison, it was, yeah, quite a lot easier. Like the next day, I reckon I could have done another 105k. Yeah, genuinely. I, I really could have. I would have been probably a little bit slower. Um maybe even a lot slower, but I still felt like I could have done it. I was limping a little bit, but I was doing that during the Iron 105 as well. So it was all sort of the same, really. I find this remarkable. There's definitely, you do seem to know how to push beyond limits that a normal human mind would set. And why is that? Yeah, I don't know. Like, well, there's two types of pain, right? There's pain that'll lead to long-term injury or pain that is an actual injury. And those are difficult because if you you got to you got to weigh up what's at stake by carrying on, you know, if if you're feeling a pain that will potentially lead to a stress fracture or bone on bone eventually, you know, if your cartilage is rubbing together and it rubs away, your cartilage doesn't grow back. You've got to work out and you've got to think, right, is this worth it? You know, uh, so on the when I ran the 105k, if I'd felt any of those types of pain then I 100% I would have jumped on the train. Like, I'm not, I just, you know, I don't need it. I don't need to prove myself on that 
little run down to Carfest. Like, um, whereas on Iron One Hundred Five, depending what day I was on, <laughs> you know, day ten, day fifteen, if I'd picked up a big, big injury that was potentially lifelong, maybe I would have let that recover and then just had another crack at it. If it was day eighty-five, then I probably would have sucked it up. I <laughs> just thought, right, well, it's worth it now. Like I've put everything into this challenge. I'm just going to suck it up and run on broken legs or whatever. So, there, you know, there's a lot of these sort of calculations going on in my head. Then the other pain is just like fatigue pain. And now, I, that stuff doesn't really bother me. It affects my performance, no, no doubt, like my pace goes down and and that sort of thing. But it doesn't. it never stops me carrying on because I know it's just like fatigue pain and pain from overuse um, and that sort of thing. And and it's only with experience over the last 15 years or whatever that I've sort of managed to know the difference on most things now. There's still a couple of new things that cropped up, like especially on Iron 105. A couple of new injuries where I just was going, oh no, this is this is new now. I don't know what to do. I don't know if it's just pain or is it injury. So then I'm on, my, on the phone to my physio. He was coming to see me and we, you know, we worked really hard and nipping it in the bud super early. Which is, again, another thing I'm really good at is just micromanaging every single little thing that's happening to me and trying to nail it early before it gets too bad. Okay, you talked about your previous experience across 15 years. This, your adventurous life started roughly 15 years ago with a bike journey across the UK. You cycled the length of Britain. It wasn't to the same pain extent perhaps as yeah. what you've just achieved with 105 triathlons but um what made you in that initial instance begin that one journey that has now started a series of adventures that have lasted 15 years my i'd always take a month off around january february march april when it was quiet i used to be a photographer and that was quiet season up until about april um so I always took a full month off and did various things. I went traveling around India, Nepal and Tibet one year and, you know, went used to go home to South Africa quite a lot and see my family. And then one year I was like, right, well, I've got a month off. What should I do? And I was looking at places abroad and it was just like, I just didn't have the cash that year or whatever and thought, oh, well, let me just stay in Britain. And then I thought, well, what can I do with my time? I don't want to just wander around. And then I'd heard, I'd discovered this thing called Lands in John O'Groats, which I'd never heard of before. Um, and it's the two furthest points you can travel uh, in a straight line from each other in the UK. So it's not the f- most northerly or most southerly, um, but they're the two furthest p- points apart. And it's a famous route. People have been doing it for hundreds of years. And uh, I, I was sort of captivated by that. And initially I thought of walking it. And then I sort of looked at the distances and it was, you know, 900 miles. I thought, well, um, that's 30 miles a day. I'm never going never gonna to be able to do that. So why don't I cycle it? Uh, didn't have a bike, but once I sort of got captivated by this idea of doing this thing called Lands End John O'Groats and I'd chosen a bicycle to do it, um, then it was like, right, eBay, find a bike, find some panniers, get some kit, do a little bit of training. Not, you know, didn't because again, I was only doing 30 to 50 miles a day because uh, it took 25 days to do it. I sort of just took my time. And that was it. I, I, I remember getting home from that trip going, man, this is like, this is revolutionary. It's changed my life. I'm going to cycle every day for the rest of my life. 
and then put my bike in the shed and never looked at it again for another two years, <laughs> you know, because just life carried on. Just I, it was sort of just a little blimp in my default, you know, life, and just reset it back to normal. It never, I never actioned it really, which I should have done. In that journey, did you experience? Pain, fatigue, tiredness. Oh yeah, being wet, being uncomfortable. Yeah, all of it, all of that. Yeah. And definitely. how how was your mindset back then? Did you enjoy that? Yeah, I, I'm. So, I was sort of just. It's the first thing you do, you know. Like when on the, and also it was pre-smartphones, which I'm so glad I got to do something pre-smartphone, which was cool. So I had paper maps and and actual books to read and all that, which I I'm, I'm glad I did it. Don't get me wrong, I, I probably wouldn't go away now without a smartphone, but um just for weight saving mainly. <laughs> I remember one pannier, I had a whole pannier of paper, like maps and books and guidebooks and camping guides and all that, um, which is now you can just get on your phone. And, um, but you know, I was unfit. Devon and Cornwall is super hilly. My bike was 30, 30, 35 kgs, super heavy. Going up hills was a killer. Um, it snowed on me. It was hailing on me. It was cold. I was camping. Yeah, I had all of it. What I didn't have is sleep deprivation. And what I didn't have was pushing long days. You know, and that adds a whole new level of misery. <laughs> but crucially, you got out and you, you had an adventure. Yeah. You didn't have any any attachments to it other than just wanting to do it. You bought your kit. Didn't fuss about having a streamlined setup about doing it in the fastest. It was just about getting the distance done, no matter how long it took and enjoying it to some extent. Yeah. Which is the fundamental part of any adventure is to yeah. have the fun. Well, not really. Not for me. Okay. Well, let's get to that. <laughs> because when we look at 105 iron distance triathlons, all set in one location, swimming in the same pool every day, cycling the same routes every day, running the same route every day and including the run and was the cycle laps as well did you do yeah repeats? so yeah there were three laps on the bike with the, getting to the laps and getting back yeah. from the laps to the run this is an adventure when you're contained in one place yeah it's not an adventure where you're getting motivated by the change of scenery yeah you get the change of weather you get the change of climate you get the change of seasons yeah passing through time but you you've stuck yourself in one location for a minimum of 102 days <laughs> which might not be everyone's idea of fun or might not be everyone's idea of a challenge that they would want to do because of the length of time that they'd be stuck in one place yeah. but that's that is that what it takes i guess so i mean i also i sort of question whether it is actually an adventure doing 105 for lions is probably not an adventure really it's just a pure physical challenge there's no adventurous angle to it at all really um you know had you changed locations every day and, and did a road tour of it that would have made it a little bit more adventurous but you know you just had to i had to minimize any risks you know put take down any barriers any hurdles that would make me slower mainly um and changing the course would have made me slower because I wouldn't have known how fast to go around corners. I wouldn't have known where the potholes are. So I would have been constantly thinking, you know, what's where am I going? How am I going? What route am I taking? And uh, that would have been way more tiring on my brain. And uh, yes, yeah, so having the same course, you know, by day 10, I knew the road backwards. I knew every pothole. I knew how fast to take each corner. I knew the likely spots where cars 
would get annoyed with me. And then the spots where it was likely that they would be able to overtake me, um, likely spots where they'd pull out in front of me out of blind corners. I, I knew it all, so I didn't have to stress. I didn't have to think it was just sort of automatic, which then allowed my brain to think about food and water and sleep and all the other elements of, you know, all the, the pillars of endurance. Um, so, yeah, I liked it. I liked having the laps and, and the familiarity every single day. Um, and dare I say, you know, could you do it on a different course every day? You maybe could if you're really fast and you had the time to travel between, but you'd have to have a lot of different swim spots quite close to each other. And I think now that you, the record is set so high at 105, anyone wants to break the record, they need to minimise the complexities of Absolutely. the challenge, yeah. which is why it should be done in one location. Yeah. And the more you can fine-tune that location, the more efficient you could be. You had some inefficiencies, which I think you mentioned the last time I spoke with you. You had a half an hour drive at the end of your day. Yeah, yeah. Too many too many junctions on the bike course as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had 75 potential stop to zero junctions. I think I had 89 sort of junctions and sharp turns where, you know, you're still going down to five miles an hour. But a lot of those... You never stopped because you were turning from a road into another road, for example. Um, so, yeah, there's still things that could be done better, uh, but not in this area. You know, there was no, that was the best bike course I could find by a long way around here. You know, there was, th- I did sort of um and ah about doing this in Norfolk or Lincolnshire, but there's no hedges, you know, and on the windy days, you would just get ruined. Um, and also those long straight roads you can hold traffic up a long time you know if you're doing like a 15 mile road and you just sometimes you know you're going to hold cars up a long a long time whereas the longest stretch I had was I think five miles before I turned which meant and even on that that stretch from Rosset down to Holt there was at least two or three places where cars would mostly be able to pass. So I didn't, you know, annoy too many drivers. <laughs> I hope <laughs> the drivers are amazing to be fair. I had 12,000 miles and only had about five close calls. Um, so yeah, so there's, there was, yeah, there's, I think if someone was going to have another crack, someone will have a crack at the record. Um, yeah, less corners, definitely less corners. You'd, you'd buy yourself half an hour. What about if they took over a racetrack? I don't think the internet would let them do that. Yeah, you could do it, but I think you would have to do it in the spirit of the of the race. Because that's what it took to break is the eight-hour iron distance triathlon. Yeah, sub eight, uh, sub seven. Um, sub eight and sub seven, yeah. Sorry, so the women's yeah, sub eight. Sub, yeah, women was sub eight and then Christian did sub seven. Um, did that- you do the bike on a track? I think it was, from what I can remember from watching live stream, it was on the track. Oh, right. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. I, can, I just have visions of the... Yeah, the, I mean, the, you, the may, pel- you may be right. You know, The you, peloton as well. I th- yeah, you would have had the peloton, definitely. You would need that. Um, yeah, maybe you did. Again, for such a big project like that, you would... I think you'd get... You, you sort of, you'd get away with it for that because it's such a... You know, it's a one-off. No one's ever done it before, right? Uh, and now the next person who comes along will also do a track if they want to break his time. Um, but because James Lawrence did it in a fashion that was sort of fairly realistic to doing a normal Ironman, 
you know, if I had then done a track, everyone would be like, well, yeah, right. it's stupid. If he had done a track, I still wouldn't have done a track. I'd have done it. Because I, I, I sort of feel if you're going to do something that's similar to an actual Iron Man, I think you should try and do it to a similar level. So your elevation, like, should be similar. And when I went into this, what I wanted to do as well is I wanted to get the record and get rid of any of the butts. And a track would have been a butt. Oh, he broke the record. Oh, but he did it on track. Or, yeah, he broke the record. Oh, but the course was downhill. Or, you know, or but his elevation was zero. Um, so everything, all everything I did was um, try to minimize all those little butts. I think the one thing I wish I could have done is done an open water swim. Uh, just not possible around here. It was too cold and the logistics were too difficult. If I'd found a lake which had like a cafe, literally lakeside, almost over the water with change rooms and hot showers and everything um, and the water temperature was a bit warmer, uh, yeah, I would have done it. I would have done an open water swim. Is that, that because in your mind that is the spirit of an Ironman? I think, yeah, and I enjoy open water swimming more. Um and and you're right, yeah. It's it's and that's why I chose an open water swim for the previous attempt, yeah, uh, last year because I just thought it was more in keeping of of how I in my head the sort of the oil painting version of of it would look like, right? So, um, but it just wasn't possible around here. And and dare I say, it. I mean, it would be possible. You just I remember when I did the open water swim last time. With the same swim time, I, w- I was losing 45 minutes in faff time because it was a little bit extra to get to the open water from my house, so that counted. Then there was sort of messing around, trying to get all your kit sorted in the rain and you know setting up umbrellas and all this sort of stuff took time. Putting on a wetsuit waited for stood a few minutes. Then I'd need the toilet halfway through, so I'd take the wetsuit off and go into a port loo and then try and putting a cold, wet wetsuit back on. You know, so there was a lot of little things that added to the the sort of my overall time that wasn't my swim time. So um, I think, as I said, if I'd found a location with slightly warmer water where I could have a hot shower and have all my kit ready indoors and get straight on the bike as well, because that's the other thing. There was like a gravel track through a ford back to the main road. So I'd lose 10 minutes there as well. So yeah, the open water thing just wouldn't didn't work around where I lived. You mentioned your your pillars of endurance. There are 10 pillars that you... Yeah. There you might be 11 me. now. Oh, okay. I think I'm, I might have added another Oh, one. interesting. <laughs> okay. Well, can you can you recount them? Yeah. So you've there, there are... Tel- so people ask me, so how do you, you know, do these multi-day things? I'm quite good at, and over the years have developed a system of things you've got to focus on every single day. Uh, so one's planning, then there's uh, experience, fitness, health, nutrition, hydration, sleep, muscle management, motivation, community. And then I might add discipline. Discipline's the last one, but discipline could also fall into sort of an overall category for all of them, really. But um yeah, so you got to nail all of those every single day. You know, if you don't, um, you'll just be down on power, down or, or down on time, really. If if one of them, even if one of them's not at best, and yeah, I'm quite good at making sure and and sort of overthinking each of those to make sure that I'm at a 
place where I can sustain a decent enough pace to then get enough sleep. I want to try and break down these these um, these pillars. Maybe if we can throughout the conversation, we'll see. I'm happy to go with the flow as well. Let's start with planning, though. Yeah. The first one. You mentioned your first attempt. So a year previous to starting this current record attempt, you tr- you attempted uh, in 2022. Yeah. The Iron 102 Challenge. You got seven days in. You had an accident on the bike. Yeah, I had, actually, the bike, the accident was on day five, actually. Oh. But I went to day seven, yeah, and then just was, I missed the cutoff, so it was over, yeah. At that time, it must have been very difficult because I, I know that a lot of work goes into just prep- preparing to even start on day one. You've had to organize your sponsors, you've got crew, you've got a social media plan, and then you've got all the gear, you've got the location sorted, and then you begin what you hope is going to be 102 days of, of a challenge, of a fitness challenge. And it derails itself after after a week, which must have been very, very tough for you at the time. But in hindsight, how important was it to have that week's experience and then have the months following to actually say, okay, that was a good way to test this. And now I've learned how I can make it better go for, going forward. Yeah, there was probably three or four days after that where I was like, well, this sucks. <laughs> you know, I'd cancelled a lot of work to be, as you say, away for three and a half months. Um, paid the crew up front. Um, a lot of these sort of things. So all of a sudden I'm stuck with a year with nothing to do. Well, an empty diary uh, and an injury um, and a failure. So, you know, that was tough for a few days. But I'm quite good at bouncing back. So, you know, the first thing I thought was, as you said, well, that went wrong so let's work out why and let's fix it and then the other thing i actually got quite excited i was like i've got another nine months of training brilliant i know i love training like i i would the fact that i had another nine months to get even stronger like really excited me so there was that but then the failure bit really made people go well, he's just not for it. Like, he just can't do it, you know. And and, and people said that even before, while I, you know, when I announced it on day one, um, you know, the internet kind of went a bit mad. Like, who's this guy? Who does he think he can? Like, you know, what? No, weirdly, like, no one bothered even going onto my website and looking at my history. They just thought I was this random guy who decided to thought, oh, I can do it. Uh, and then when I failed, like, I could feel them going, yeah, I told you. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, guys, have you even bothered to, look at my website like this this record had my name all over it you know if you look at everything else i've done and um so yeah that was that was a bit annoying i um i should have done five beforehand in my training but oh there's a complexity of things i i only thought of the idea in the december of 21 and i thought right how you know what's the shortest amount of time I can train for this James said he trained in six months to do his 101 so okay I can probably you know let's try six months I knew it wasn't quite enough but I thought right let me just scrape through the first week take it slow don't push it hard you know do the 16 17 hours just do it within the within the cutoff um and I'll hopefully just kind of get into it uh and then you know, looking for sponsors. I eventually got sponsors only like about a month before the start in July. 
I still didn't have a bike a couple of weeks before the start. I didn't have wetsuit a couple of weeks before the start. I didn't have shoes a couple of weeks before, before the start uh, because of COVID supply chain issues. So my bike sponsor were like, they were one of the first people to get on board. They were like, yeah, yeah, brilliant. We'll sort you out. And I needed three bikes in case one broke. And then I needed to rotate one as well. Um, they could only get me one. And they only gave it to me a week before the start. And I said, I'm sorry, we just don't have any more. Like, you know, there's supply. We just, we don't have any. And, like, and I was like, how? You're the biggest bike manufacturer in the world. How can you not get me a bike? So that was frustrating. Uh, and the same thing, you know, with even with the shoes, eventually the head office of, the, of my shoe um, sponsor had to just buy them from a local shop and <laughs> get them sent to me. Because again, just COVID ruined all their supply chain. Um, uh, uh, so yeah, so... You know, all the signs were saying delay the start, delay the start, delay the start. And I, and I sort of knew I should have delayed it till April this year anyway, which would have given me eight, like 14 months of training or 15 months of training, which is more realistic, I think. I think six months is is not nearly enough to train for doing 105. Yeah, you might be able to wing it, but you're going to have a tough time. Like I had a tough time on those that first week. And yeah, I did come off the bike, right? So there's also that. So I fell off the bike when I was trying to get food out my back pocket, hit a pothole, veered left into a bush, went over the handlebars, hoods bent in and my left leg stayed clipped into the pedal and that just tweaked the tendon from my shin to the top of my foot. And uh, yeah, three days. So that was on day five. By day six, it was a little worse. By day seven, I'd missed the cutoff um, and that was it. So it was it was game over. Uh, so, so there's also that. Um, but... Yeah, if you look at James James Lawrence's 101, you know he said he did six months training, and he got a stress fracture on day three. So, I think there's a lot of a lot of signs that say six months training is not enough. <laughs> so uh, I was just copying James. He's like, well, if he can do it in six months, I can do it in six months. Um, but you know, the other things that went wrong with my route planning and things like that from the last time, and I'd already I'd already changed those by day seven on my last attempt. So I'd already moved to a pool. Um, and I'd already changed my, my, uh, run route and my bike course. They were all then flat again. So I was sort of being proactive with my decision-making and not just settling and, you know, when things going, going wrong, I'm hustling. I'm like, right, why is it going wrong? Okay. My run is terrible. The route I chose was terrible. The bike course was okay. Um, but I needed something a bit flatter. And, uh, and I changed it, you know, I adapted. So, and my bike, I think my bike time on the day seven was my fastest, one of my fastest bike times. So I was getting better anyway, but the injury was, was just too much. So, but yeah, in hindsight, I I should have just given it a year. Um, and I should have done five in the, in the prep, but I couldn't have, I just didn't have the time or the kids didn't have a bike the week before. So yeah, there's a lot of, it's a lot of excuses I've just given, haven't I? <laughs> but it's more, you know, I, I know what I did wrong now. Yeah. So Sometimes you never know until you hit the start line. And and with an endurance event that's going to last months, you have the benefit of winging it initially. And then over time, things can come on board and hopefully momentum can build and things can slot together, which I guess was probably your hope at the time. Sort of, yeah. There was... And I, <laughs> I kicked myself a little bit, really, because I, I knew that you 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 can't really get into fitness for for the hundred and five without being at a pretty good fitness to start with. Now, 
because everything like when I cycled around the world, I hit the start line super strong, you know, because I knew I'd fatigue. So, and if once you're on the back of the wave, you just never recover. You got to be on the front of the wave so that you're fast enough to get enough sleep each night to go fast again tomorrow. If you go too slow, you don't get enough sleep. You're going slow again tomorrow. This is you attempted to break the record for the fastest cycle around the world. Around the world, yeah, in 2012, yeah. So that one, I was, you know, I was strong to start. And and I knew that doing the Iron 105, I should probably have been the same. But again, I was just impatient. I, you know, the thought of, you know, from December 21, waiting till April 23, I was too far away for me. <laughs> you know, the Terry in me was like, well, I can't wait that long. We're going. Come on, boy. Um, but it was, a, it was a bad move. This, well, this is an interesting point to make because uh, you're obviously an adventurous person. Um, in looking in your track record of what you've been able to do, you were the first person to swim a length of Britain. You've also cycled it, as we mentioned, and you ran it. And you're the only person, I think, today still to do a triathlon of the length of Britain, lands into John O'Groats. Yeah, until Ross Edgley or Jasmine Harrison decide to cycle and run it. Yeah. Or Fiona Quinn, if she decides to swim it, because she's walked it and cycled it. Um, then, then, yeah. So there's three people in the running. Come on, you three. Come on, join my club, please. <laughs> You've done something, which I've also done. You cycled London to Paris in 24 hours, which is a nice little thing you can just do with a mate or two or yeah, a bunch I've of mates. Done, I've done that twice, actually. It's a good ride, yeah. 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 It's fun. Things like that don't involve too much planning. You can just kind of pack your bags, go get a train booked on the way back or whatever, or cycle back. How frustrating can it be with the time and energy it takes to plan such a big event? And now we've defined that maybe your 105 iron distance triathlons wasn't necessarily an adventure it's more of a fitness challenge but still it it required so many months of preparation and also training does that frustrate you and sometimes you just want to go and do something or is there this discipline of having to have that balance and knowing that that's that's what you need in order to be prepared on the start line yeah no i love i love the long stuff yeah i love all aspects of it so once i've got a big big challenge in mind I very rarely do any little little short things like the London to Paris in the middle of that because I'm so focused on trying to get, unless that would enhance my performance, you know. So, yeah, if I've got, let's say I have a big run planned, I wouldn't plan any other little runs unless they were part of my training. But even the day-to-day office admin, being on your laptop for several hours of the day, making phone calls things not necessarily going in the right direction for a few weeks. Is that a frustrating yeah, part of it? Yeah, I mean, it can be, yeah, especially in the world of sponsorship because a lot of sponsorship money now has been given to influencers uh, over athletes and that's disappointing, if I'm honest. I think brands should be supporting athletes over over people just with big, big followers. Um, but I get it. Like, they need to sell products and someone who's got a million followers who does who leads maybe an interesting life. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm, this is, I have no beef with them individually. I'm, I've got beef with brands choosing to to support non, non-athletes who could, you know, rise up the rungs. And don't forget about me. Like, I, I'm not an example. But you've, there's a lot of young athletes in niche sports who are just not getting sponsorship deals because, this, you know, some of the brands are giving the money to, like, you know sort of influencers who, who look pretty and have big followers or whatever. I know I'm stereotyping a little bit here, but it is true. 
It is true. Unless, unless an athlete now is really good at social media, they, they're probably not, and they're in a niche sport, you know, it's going to be very difficult for them to, to get sponsorship deals, which kind of sucks because I think if you're a running brand, you know, please support some young athletes who are who have promise rather than, you know, someone with loads of followers because, you know, so that, you know, that was frustrating a lot of the time, you know, going for funding for such a big project where the risk of failure was so huge um, and brands just going, well, actually, no, it's like it's too expensive and you don't have enough followers, basically, which is, well, I've got a lot of. That's um, a shame. Do you think brands are looking at quantity, not necessarily quality? No, because the, the influencers do a good job. Like they do a good job, uh, you know. So if I was a brand, I can see exactly why. Because, you know, there might be someone who just is, you know, an influencer, but they've got an interesting life and they've got an interesting backstory and their followers are genuine and their followers engage with them and their numbers are good and they probably sell more products through this 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 person so i have no beef for the influencer like they're obviously interesting people don't follow people for nothing now right so um so the brand is actually doing a good job you know they're engaging with a bigger audience um and everything but I think there should be a little bit of social responsibility for for sporting brands, especially, to support some up and coming athletes that maybe necessarily don't have um, big, big, uh, big followers and that sort of thing. Why should should they choose these athletes? Because otherwise, if if no one supports the younger athletes coming up the food chain, they'll they'll drop off. If they got no money to enter races or travel to just other places to do races and train and get physio, how are they going to survive? Like, they, where else are they going to get their funding from? Mum and dad, okay. Mum and dad will fund them for a little bit. But at some point, they're going to have to start, you know, either winning and then they'll get some things. But there's a lot of really good athletes that just quit the sport because they just can't afford it anymore, um, which is a shame. So, uh, but again, there's a lot of cool brands out there that also will take a punt. You know, all the brands that supported me on Iron 105, <laughs> that was a risky risky investment that was, c- considering I failed the first time as well. So, uh, you know, big shout out to them because without them, it was impossible. It would have been impossible. You know, to I wanted to pay the crew a, a day wage. Uh, I needed the kit. I needed food. You know, there's a lot of stuff that went into it. Um, so, yeah, yeah. All sport relies on sponsorship. From every level, whether it's your parents sponsoring you or there's, you know, we sponsor, there's a lo- local football team here. We as a family sponsor one of the players, 40 quid a year and uh, goes into the, I don't know, the bus fuel money, I guess. <laughs> what do the brands get um, as a result of your record breaking challenge? So I work with them on various different things, depending what they want. Sometimes it's product development for the shoes, for example. Sometimes it's days of my time. So I'll go and do talks with them and to their staff and try and engage or if they're doing uh, an event. So Oro Bikes, I'm down with them in a couple of weeks doing an open day and everyone's invited. It's a free a free session where I'm going to do a bit of a talk about Iron 105. And, and then everyone coming to that gets to look around the Oro showroom, which is pretty cool. Um, and... Yeah, a bit of social media uh, stories and 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 things like that. Doing some interviews with them, which they'll put out on their channels, and then they also just get to shout about it. You know, once I've broken the record, 
they can go, man, you know, because of us, Sean got this world record and that's hopefully good for them and it'll inspire, you know, people to use their products, I guess, or use their services. And, you know, like the bike shop that supported me, James, at Spokes, you know, hopefully, I'm hoping people are buying bikes from him now because he was generous enough to support Iron 105. Um, he needs to put food on the table. So, you know, can people buy bikes from him, please? <laughs> Type thing. So, uh, yeah, that it's it's sort of along those lines. What I don't do is, is the influencer model where you give me money and product and I will do an ad on on social media so i try and steer clear of those one-off type things yeah in the past i've had to do it when i'm skint (laughs) you know still got still got put food on the table so uh uh but now i'm I'm, i guess i'm lucky enough to not have to do those one-off gigs i'd rather work with a brand over two or three years and get make a proper relationship and do some cool stuff and and then i know that we're all on the same page and it's not just a one-off thing so when you pitch to a brand for a campaign like your um, 105 Iron Distance Triathlons, are you under a contract with them for X amount of time, which involve X number of days of, of yeah. working with them? Yeah, exactly that. So there'll be a contract period, usually for this case until the end of, I think it was a couple of months after Iron 105, or, or sp- as long as once you've um, done your obligations within the contract. So there might be a rough end date or until you've done what you know what we agreed on so um yeah that's exactly how it works and then and then you think of another idea and then repeat the process yes do you, do you need to keep on doing epic things in order to sort of make yeah s- sort of um is that a pressure no because i love doing them anyway the the pressure is what tolda has on the family because i've got young kids um and caroline's self-employed as well so I can't just be swanning off the whole time. Uh, but, you know, like any sports man or woman, you've got to keep doing what you're doing because, you know, no one's sponsoring an Olympian to not try and get get into the Olympics, right? Um, unless there's some, something else interesting that they do that brands might find worthwhile uh, getting being a part of. But, uh, yeah, I have tons of ideas, you know, like I did this double brutal. I'm doing 100k in, in the Lake District. I've signed up for the tunnel, which is that 200 miler in the tunnel in Bath, Bristol. I've, I've heard about this. Yeah. Why in God's name? Oh, I love it. In fact, I nearly pulled out when I found out that they leave the lights on in the day. <laughs> I thought it was pitch dark for tw- for 60 hours. I was like, what? From so it- explain the tunnel to me and to those who don't know. From what I understand, it, it, you just run in a tunnel. Yeah, you not you don't even see. It's a the one mile. World. It's a one mile tunnel. So in Bristol, you say? Yeah, between Bristol and Bath on the old railway track. I've cycled through it. I think it's a mile, could be a kilometer. I don't know. But you go back and forth, back and forth. Now, the end of the tunnel's open, and I believe the tunnel's too narrow to have aid stations in the tunnel. So you would go outside a little bit just to the to the aid station, but you've got to do X amount of laps um within the tunnel to do the two hundred miles. And I, th- I don't know what the cutoff is, but I've met someone who's done it and he did it in 55 hours, I think. So not allowed headphones. So that's part of the rules. Um, there's a weird art installation in the middle where they play ca- classical music or something, apparently. Uh, but yeah, the, the lights are on in the day. I was gutted when I found that out. I was like, oh, I wanted total darkness. I thought total darkness would have been amazing. Or just head torch. So you've got to have a head torch in the evening. You don't need a head torch in the day because the, the lights are on. 
So the lights are on from 5 a.m. till 11 p.m. and then 11 p.m. till 5 a.m. They're, they're off. So there is darkness in the tunnel at, so at night. From 11 p.m. till 5 a.m. it's pitch dark, yeah. Yeah, but I thought it was pitch dark all the time. Like that would because it would be right without the lights. Oh, absolutely, yeah, it's a mile long. Bar, yeah. you'd, you'd have pick. a little bit at the big yeah. entrance and and the other end where you'd see something. So what? Why turn the lights on if they have a dark? Well, it's a commuter. Well. It's a commuter. Oh, it's so a it's public, public place. It's a public tunnel. Yeah, so it's it's actually on a on a bike path. So I believe you run down the right and they cone it off a little bit. Maybe not. I'm not sure. But yeah, it's there's bicycles and pedestrians up and down the tunnel. As when well. are you doing that? Well, I'm on the shortlist. It's in okay. March, and I've put put my name down. So if there's any cancellations, I'll do it. Um, I've signed up, up for the across Scotland run, 215 mile, full uh, as um, continuous, so not staged. There's the brutal 300 mile run, run race as well, which would have been this weekend. Uh, so I did my double, and on the same weekend, they did a hundred miler, a 200 miler, and a 300 miler. No one from the hundred, no one from the two hundred or the three hundred even made a hundred. They pulled out, so no one did that. Um, so there's a lot of running in my things at the moment. I've not, I've not thought of a swim. Is this or, all in a uh, quest just to keep your fitness and to just satisfy my brain, just keep my mental health alive by running two hundred miles in a tunnel? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's way easier to do that than not do it. 100% easier to do it than not do it. Then to not do it? Yeah. What do you mean not do it? Yeah. Like for me to look at that and choose not to do it is harder. Like for me, for instance, I could choose not to do it. Yeah. No, I, it would be worse for me to choose not to do it. 100%. Is that because it's there? Uh, and I want to do it. Yeah. But but you want to do it because it's there? Um. Yeah. And some, someone create more creative than me and thought of it. <laughs> yeah. If I thought of it by myself, I would have done it. But, you know, someone else thought of it before me and um, and now I want to do it. I'll go back to the terrier thing. You know, like if I held my dog's collar and threw a ball, it would go crazy. It would go crazy. Like it would be trying to bite me. It'd be like agitated, like, ah, why, why are you letting me catch this ball, man? And as soon as I let him go, poof, he's happy. And I'm the same. Like now, you know, once the tunnel came into my realm was that was someone throwing the ball yeah it's easier for me now to do it than not to do it i see i see these things yeah yeah and i think likewise in, in my life there's certain things that and and probably everyone's life that they see and they, they develops this passion for and then if it becomes this burning desire then you have to act on it yeah is, oh there's no passion though i hate it like i hate doing them like they're horrible they're tired I, i'm miserable the whole time then why i don't know i just have to do it because if i don't do it i'm unhappy and when i'm doing it i'm unhappy do as you well. feel the sense of pleasure <laughs> from accomplishing it, Is it a sense absolutely of yes exactly that exactly that you know we're in my office here and there's my brag wall over here and uh, i love it I, I come in here my boys look at it and go wow, yeah you've got um uh front cover from time out london magazine yeah you've got a screenshot of when you're on russell howard's tv show um, you've got some news articles from the Times. Yeah, I've got you... a postcard of me that you can buy at John O'Groats. Yeah, so there's a funny story there. I remember when I was, so I'd, I'd done the swim. I now was doing the run. So I was starting at John O'Groats. And um, there's a guy called Walter who owns a curio shop down by the harbour there. And he's like, Sean, Sean, I've got something to show you. So I go up, he takes me to a wall of postcards and he's like, can you see it? I'm looking, I'm like, what am I looking for, mate? I like, didn't think it was a postcard, I thought it was something else. Anyway. Eventually, I saw this postcard of me 
up at the top there of me finishing the swim. Uh, and, he, and I was like, no way, you actually sell a postcard of me? And he's like, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, brilliant. Can I buy one? He's like, oh, mate, I'll give you 10. I've got hundreds out back. No one's buying them. <laughs> so, and then, this is cool. Every every talk I've ever done, right? I tell the story and I say, if anyone goes to John O'Groats, please buy my postcard, send it to me, and I'll send you a copy of one of my books. And in my drawer here, I have... The only one, only oh, two, two that have ever been sent to me. Wow. Okay. Can, can you reveal the names? Um, this is from Dwayne Newton. Can you put his address? And this one is from Mike Stockdale. So this is only of all, I mean, I've talked to thousands of people, right? Only two oh, people have ever sent me. I've been to Johnny Groats. I'm gutted. Yeah. You didn't buy my postcard, mate. I didn't know about it. Um, um yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's my little wall of, and I've got the cheese rolling second in the Gloucester cheese rolling, um, which is the re- half the reason I'm a crap swimmer. But um, yeah, so yeah, it is the, it's 100% the accomplishment, the achievement of doing it, the bragging rights in the pub, all that ego stuff. It's it's real. Like, well, and when, when you hear someone tell a story about you, that is just, just, just yeah, weird. no, I don't want to hear that. Like yeah. in the pub, if someone says, oh my God, you've got to meet my friend Sean. You're yeah, no, I don't like that bit. No. No, no, I don't like that bit. I, and I, in fact, I don't even like talking about it myself, but I just like... Knowing that people knowing know. Knowing that people know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just be, you know, just sit in the corner and whisper to yourselves and be like, oh yeah, that, that's that guy who did that thing once. See, I, I knew you, know. you once, well, I briefly met you once a long, long time ago. It must have been... And roughly 10 years ago you might have just swam the length of Britain it might have been after that so it okay. might have been 2013 um, I think I was with Dave Cornfoy at the time I was filming a uh, an event at the Royal Geographical Society that was happening and you just like walked in and you kind of walked past me I was like oh yes sure and I was <laughs> like, just like gave you like the cute like literal real life kudos because yeah, yeah, yeah. I just knew you were just an absolute yeah. champion yeah. <laughs> yeah that's what I like I mean don't get me wrong like I'll turn it on when I need to turn it on like in podcasts, I'll do it. And when I do talks at corporates and, and I love those little moments because it's it's there and people are expecting something from me and I want to give them a good experience and I and I love that bit. But, you know, when it's sort of like in a big group of public space and like loads of people coming up and then it's like, oh, I feel weird. I feel like imposter syndrome sets in a little bit, you know. Okay. I feel like we've diverged away from uh, <laughs> dissecting your... 105 iron distance triathlons. Uh, just going back to the planning, um, we, we were talking about one of the pillars. What really impressed me was the intentions and detail you had. Um, first of all, you, first of all, you had to you had to find a swim spot, a bike route, and a run place that's all kind of quite local and all quite flat. You cycled around your bike course, checking phone signal around the whole way. Yeah, because it was so important that you could keep in communication with your team in case you yeah. went into problem and needed some help. Yeah, absolutely. Like, imagine I was stuck, you know, on my own in a in a little patch with no signal. I'd lose hours, you know, because mm. it'll, it'll take them forever. Or I'd have to walk and maybe, you know, I mean, luckily nowadays, it's very rare you don't have phone signal. But if I'd walked half an hour, then I'd have to wait another half an hour, potentially, if I was at the worst, furthest p- part from the crew. Um so yeah, no, yeah, he's just doing all those things. Mm. Um, I mean, luckily with once I knew it was only a pool swim, I had three options, um, and Mold was the closest. I had a backup in Buckley and a third backup in Wrexham. Fourth backup would have been a, uh, a gym, 
there's a gym, a membership gym in uh, Cheshire Oaks. They only do a 6 a.m., but I'm sure they would have allowed me in, uh, even though I, I wasn't a member. Um, so, and then fifth option, in case all the others failed, which I, was pretty rare, would uh, have been a shout out to anyone with a private pool. <laughs> Just done like some, someone's wow, house. A 10 meter pool. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would have needed to be decent. <laughs> yeah. I think you wouldn't, I wouldn't have got away with a 10 meter pool. But um, <laughs> yeah, so there was all that back up. So there was only really one option for the swim really was mold. And then the bike was the one that was the hardest. And I actually did change my bike course on day 15 or 20. And then my mate, Paul Buckley, he, um, he came up with the new course and it was amazing. And it was the best option I had, um, around here. And then run again, there was no, there's really only one option for the run, which you came on. Um, it's the only place around here, which was traffic free and flat. Yeah. So again, there wasn't much thought process around the run. It was it was always ever going to be that, really. Um, so yeah, there was all that planning. Really was was quite easy because Paul did the bike course and then the swim and the run were obvious. So it was quite nice to have not have to stress about that. Okay, let's move on to the another pillar of endurance, fitness. You've mentioned talked about the fitness and the training you had to do. What specific training were you doing? both in the, the initial lead up for the first attempt and then going forward yeah. in the following nine months. Yeah, so I did the same training. I did three of everything a week, uh, three swims, three bikes, three runs. I probably did less swims in the lead up to the first one because the swim's the easy bit, you know. It takes the less amount of time as well. So it's you, the, you're not really you can, finding You the, can really mess up the swim and you're only losing half an hour and, and you've really messed the swim up if you take half an hour longer um whereas you, you can mess up the bike or the run and be hours back right and um and i knew i'd get into the swim uh just from my experience swimming the length of britain it just it came because once you've done the swim you've you've, you've which let's say on a really bad day is an hour 45 let's say which is terrible but let's say it was that you've got 22 hours recovery on your shoulders really yeah there's a bit of shoulders on the on the bike but if you're an aero on the on the hoods on your elbows is nothing really so your your swim was always going to get better just because of the time recovery time um you had and then yeah bike and run just volume three sessions a week and i did that before for the lead up to the first attempt and then for the second attempt this is um, all low intensity volume no mixture yeah, no, mixture power. I needed to get quicker. So that was my downfall as well on the first attempt as I could have done with being... So I had the endurance, I just didn't have the speed. And for this one, because there's no averaging, you really need to be fast enough to get enough sleep. So you need to get... You know, people say, oh, is it physical or mental? It's it's both. You have to be bang on on both because if you're taking 17 hours to do a full distance, you're not getting enough sleep. You're just not really. So... Then the next day you're not recovered and then you're slow again and it's a downhill spiral. What I should have done is I should have done a week-long bike bike ride. So morning till night, bike packing, thousand miles maybe, straight into a week-long run, uh, maybe 30 miles a day, 200 miles. That would have really given me a good indicator if I'd had any weaknesses uh, in knees or ankles or hips or whatever. Um, I should have also done five in a row about six weeks out. Because that, again, would have highlighted any issues. Because in the first week, I picked up a couple of knee issues and a right shin issue as well. 
so, you know, I would have picked that up and been able to work on that strength or seen a physio to, to deal with that uh, or just made a plan. But I didn't do it because I thought, I definitely didn't do the, the, the week-long bike and the week-long run because I was ill in January. And then I, I nearly did the five in a row, but thought, oh, what if I get injured? But then really, if you, if you can't do five in a row, you're never going to do 105. So I should have done it anyway. And I would have picked up a couple of little niggles. So I think, you know, what I've learned is I should have done a little bit more really big volume days, multi-day volumes, just to kind of condition the muscles even more and the tendons and ligaments. But you still achieved it. Yeah, but just that first week was harder than it could have been. And I nearly missed the cutoff on day two and day three. So Yeah, I've got your times here. So day yeah. two, you were 16 hours 55. There we go. Five minutes short of cutoff. And that's because I messed my knee up. How was that run leg? Yeah, horrible. When you were just knowing that time was... was- so day two was just a suffer fest. Like, because I was looking at my times on the run going, I mean, I can only do eight minute Ks here or 8.15s or something, or 8.30s. Like, I was so slow. It was not much more than a walk. And then I, you know, I did the maths. I'm like, I'm going to miss this cutoff on day two. Imagine that, <laughs> you know. So uh, I don't know what I don't know what I did, but basically I just tried. And the weather was terrible as well. I just, I don't know what I did, but I kept a pace that I knew would get me in just before cutoff. And I did. And then day three, same sort of thing. I was super slow and then, Simon, my physio, came and he he taped my knees and he gave me some patella straps and that really helped things. So day three, I again was a little bit quicker. I think I was 16.45 or something like 1647, that. 16.47, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. But, but still, still very tight. Yeah. Pretty, pretty tight, you know. That one one puncture would have ruined that for me. Right. Um, and then the patella straps and the knee taping we nailed on day four. And I took quite a big chunk off on day four, I believe. Yeah, you were sub-16. Yeah, sub-16. I was 45 minutes quicker on day four. And and that was mainly the patella straps. Because once I wasn't getting the knees rubbing, I was fine. And then the ankle thing came, the shin thing. But again, taping fixed that. Um, Had I done a bit more volume up front, I would have picked up those weaknesses and dealt with them and probably not got them, really. Because now, you know, I did a double iron this weekend. I had zero knee issues. And I've done no training. You know, so I had a, a saddle height issue on the bike, um, which caused the knee issue. So that was that. that How was, did you diagnose that? You just were you just trying different things and worked that? that? No, it was my mistake. So when I ordered the new bike, so I I did a bike fit on the original bike that I had, and I had like one centimeter longer cranks. So on the new bikes, I wanted a shorter crank. So I got a, a shorter crank. and But then when I, I just forgot that I had shorter cranks. You had to adjust everything So else. then my seat, when I did my seat height from middle of crank to top of saddle, with the longer crank, it's 69. With a shorter crank, it should be 68. Uh, 60, so it should be 70 because the crank's shorter. So your foot's not going down as far, which means your saddle needs to come up a centimeter. Um, but I just forgot. So I measured, oh, I'm 69. So I did 69 because that's what I am. Mm. Um, but actually, I should have been 70. It's just little small yeah. things, but it's, it's all about Well, a centimeter's huge. Yeah. Like a millimeter's right, quite big. So right. a centimeter is massive. 
but in the you know at the time i was just caught up in the moment of day one and the excitement of it all didn't really feel it didn't feel it so then yeah put the saddle up and it it but the damage had been done already you know that knee was was already bad and it never it, it i mean it was day 70 before i could do a quad stretch on both legs so yeah so for another 70 days i still had inflamed knees yeah you 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 struggled in the first few weeks was that uh, because of your in- having an injury but also was it weather wise as well weather yeah weather was terrible injury just being is that mike tyson quote which is everyone has a plan so i punch him in the face yeah. <laughs> and then it was sort of a bit like that you know my body just been metaphorically battered so there's an adjustment period yeah. which i always knew would come um i just through not being quite as fit as i was hoping because of being ill in, at the beginning of the year I just made my, made life harder for myself, really. Because had I, let's say tomorrow, someone said, Sean, right, go and do a week's, go and do seven and seven tomorrow. I think I'd have a better time than, than those seven now, even though I've done no training for two months. Yeah. Because my body's adjusted to the load because of that, of course. But I could have replicated to some degree a better scenario in the training, which I should have done. So if anyone wants, the next person to have a crack at the record... I really re- advise doing five in a row, you know, leading up to it just to see what's weak. And if you can survive those and you do okay, or, you know, anyone who does deckers would be... What's a decker? So You mentioned ten, this in us. Yeah, ten. 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 So you've got two in, types of deckers. So you one a day deckers, which is like what I did. So yeah. you do one every single day, or you do a continuous decker where it's all ten swims in one, or ten bikes in one, or ten runs in so one. So it's ten... Iron distance. Yeah, in a row. Swims in a row. Exactly. So you're 24 mile swim, straight into a thousand mile, 1,120 mile bike ride, finishing off with a 270 mile run, 260 mile run. So it takes the guy who just won Dave, um, it took him 12 days. So you, you can sleep the, whenever you, you want. Sleep, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But you're not getting your eight hours sleep because that just, because it's a short term endurance event you'd want to minimize that exactly so that, and you're yeah. up against other competitors so if you have eight hours sleep you'll wake up five hours behind the next wow. guy right but i think it if you want to doing it if you want to do a uh one a day record like the 105 then you i would do one a day if you could do a decker one a day decker and and it not ruin you and you can do them all in a good time then you're halfway there so it'd be a good tester i think for someone who wants to break it okay let's talk about your nutrition another pillar of endurance um it surprised me to see you downing um pots of double cream yeah yeah that was a, just a weight saving insurance really just to make sure i didn't lose too much weight this is just purely calorific just calorific substance. yeah and, and, and i was so fatigued food didn't really give me energy I mean, it sort of did. And if I didn't have any, I would bonk massively. But, you know, as long as I just kept the calories going in, it meant I kept the weight on. And I was pretty happy with my weight weight loss. You know, I only lost three kgs over the three and a half months. That last kg was muscle. So I did feel, if you look at all my times, I did start getting a little bit slower at the end. And it was a grind. Those last three weeks, I struggled from a physical point of view. Um, But... Yeah, the full fat cream was just free free calories because I'd still eat everything I needed to eat and then just down a bit of full fat cream. And that was 300 calories or 200 calories, which I wouldn't have had 
um, or even more, probably about 500 calories on a big gulp, really. Was, would, it, would there be anything you'd change about what you I'd have, Yeah, I'd have more vegetables. I had very few vegetables for three and a half months. You just had a lot of carbs. So I had meats, milks, right, nuts, fruit, and grain. And the meats and the milks are yeah. all animal-based. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Proteins. Yep. Yeah. Where do you lie on the plant-based protein versus animal protein in terms of endurance? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think plant would probably have been better. I think I don't know. I felt good, to, although to be fair, I've, when I had a bit of meat with fat in it. Or I had some full fat cream. I felt amazing. Or cheese. I felt amazing, if I'm honest. Mm. Um, but then I also felt amazing if I had some avocado or some nuts. Yeah. So, you know, I felt amazing having crisps, which had oil on it. You know, fried crisps with oil and and salt. It's so interesting. I've from some of the longest term stuff I've done. I'm, I'm, I'm I now don't don't eat any animal products, but I used to. And I remember doing a long bike ride, just a hundred mile or something, and I had like a, a quiche. Yeah. <laughs> and the next hour on the bike was horrible. Yeah. So this fattiness was just like slurping around my body, and I was, okay. and that really it stuck in my mind was like, okay, that's not the thing I need to be eating when I'm yeah. doing something like this. And so the fatty stuff, like your your double cream, your cheeses, and your meats, which are high fat as well, mm. it's interesting to do, yeah. Do I think you, your body adapts to certain to whatever mm. you put in it. You know. Um, if you're used to something, it'll get good at using it as a fuel. You had a lot of smoothies as well. Could they, could you, looking back on how you wanted to eat more vegetables, couldn't a few like green beans? Yeah, I didn't have no, I didn't have that many smoothies. To be fair, uh, you may have caught me on a few days ah. where I did, but um, no, I should have. I had the athletic greens every morning, so uh, I did get my macro nutrients from that, but. Yeah, I, I was sort of too scared. Like once I got into a system that I thought was working, I was like, right, just it's working yeah. sort of. My times are okay. Like let's just don't, let's not try and fix something that isn't broken. But I really wish I had had a bit more, you know, I probably could have had a bit more beans, but more, a bit more healthy grains. So I was having oats, really, my main grain. Um, uh, I was having some couscous, some rice, um, but mostly mostly wheat i guess in the form of pasta and you um, had a nutritionist on board yes yeah yeah but that sort of gets thrown out the window because your your taste buds yeah get ruined so the nutritionist helped me with all the the powders in my bottles mainly as so i'd have of my eight thousand calories a day i was probably getting three thousand of them in the bottles while i was drinking uh and then the uh, the rest of it in food or cream you know that so uh yeah there's no point, you know, she was saying, oh, well, you know, what, what can you eat? And I was like, oh, well, I quite like sweet potato and I quite like rice cakes and I quite like uh, potato pancakes. And then after a week, I hated all of them. So <laughs> just sort of sort of pointless writing out a proper eating plan when your taste changes the whole time. But um, yeah, I, I wish I'd had, because I could have had quite a lot of vegetables when I got home in the evening. But then it was hard because, you know, you look at a bowl of carbonara, right? A big bowl of carbonara is easy, a thousand calories. You know, the equivalent in something vegetable, unless you throw tons of sauce in it, is half that. Mm. So in my head, I'm just doing the calorie count in my head. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. So and you're already eating a lot anyway. Yeah. You have to eat more just to get your Exactly. You know, my stomach's only so big. Yeah, I couldn't have doubled the size because yeah. I'm, I'm filling my stomach already. Um I tried a stomach stretching program in the lead up. 
Explain. Yeah, so you eat your meal, and then at the end of each meal, you have a liter of water. Yeah, so I did a bit of that to just try and stretch my stomach so wow. I could take more in. But yeah, it didn't. So it didn't last. <laughs> yeah, a couple of weeks in, my stomach had stretched, had shrunk down again because yeah. of it was because I was eating a little and often um, rather than big meals. So I just couldn't stomach big meals really. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I wish I'd had more, more sort of butter bowls and things like that. I think it would have done me well. Again, again, it would also re- involve someone making that. Yeah. I didn't have anyone to, I didn't have someone on board as an active nutritionist who could have gone. I think, again, if I had all the, all the monies in the world, I'd have hired a chef <laughs> to put meals together for me. But, you know, I landed up just buying microwave meals t- and uh, things like that. I had pre made a whole lot of meals which had tons of vegetables in them, but the flavor was just horrendous. So after the first week, I stopped eating them. Okay. Uh, hydration, another pillar. Um, tell me what that means to you, because is it not? Is it just water? Or is it something different? Yeah. So I lose three. The last time I got tested, I lose three point four grams of salt per liter of sweat. So you know, call it two and a half grams an hour potentially when it's hot of salt. So I have a salt deficiency. So I really need to up my salt. And um, so yeah, so I was having water on its own. It, with with some salt would have been the best but i sort of chose to have calories in the water as well so didn't didn't feel as good as i would have done had i just had water like sometimes i was like i just i don't want calories man in the bottles like just give me a bottle of water and i'd have a bottle and i'd feel amazing like water and salt just water and with a bit of salt and yeah so it's often just table salt um sea salt any flavorings Um, no no no. i quite like salty water as a flavor yeah yeah, I have it every morning. So every morning I have a pinch of salt in a glass of water and down that. I've tried this recently, yeah. I've, not necessarily to the to your extent, but I, I've realized in the past three, four, five years or so, I've just not had salt tablets, which mm. I used to do quite regularly when I was doing exercise. I d- sometimes I find whether or not something's there because it's been promoted to us as, as what you need to do, but actually it's really only like the high-end athletes that might need that. And on a day-to-day basis, if you're eating enough good food, you can get some salts from that as yeah. well as drinking water. But I tried, and I think I've read in certain books where you can make your own little like electrolyte drink where you have mm. salts, but or maybe some squeeze of lemon juice, which I've tried as well, or a bit of squash or something as well as the salt. It's surprising actually how it can actually taste like the products that you buy. Oh, really? Yeah. Just from just regular salt. Yeah. Well, I've never thrown in any flavors and I just drink the salt. I've even drunk like seawater, diluted seawater. You know, I've done a run around Jersey and I knew I was coming into an aid station where they had, and I was just sick of the electrolyte flavors. So I was like, but I need some salt. So I, I, I had a bottle. So I put a third of, I went, rampart, I went down to the sea, put a third of water, seawater in it. Got to the aid station, filled it, rest up with normal water, and that was me. Probably not recommended if anyone's listening. Probably don't do that. I don't know. Is this, I probably had is a disclaimer she, somewhere. Is this because you drank so much seawater on your length of food and swim? Probably, yeah. I'm just now, I need I need You're it. You're an aquatic animal. I'm basically Hercules. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, basically just drink. Just I mean, On something like that where it doesn't matter if you pee all the time, as long as you, you know, be quite hard to overdrink on something like that for your sort of health um maybe you could still it'd be hard though like when you're sweating so much and um yeah i because i didn't need to operate at that 95th percentile of performance 
I just needed to be decent enough to finish within 14 hours. Um, and yeah, sometimes it's good. Some days it didn't go well. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm quite good at it. So my double iron now, I drank 20 liters in 40 hours. So Wow. Yeah. That is a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I probably could have drunk more. I was dehydrated at the end of that. It was hot. Like I was sweating buckets. Yeah. So I could have, yeah, I could have, I probably could have drunk 25 liters, I reckon. Another pillar of your endurance, sleep. You've talked about um, how it was so important to get your eight hours sleep, how to finish in a, in a time that allowed that. But there's a balance of not going too fast that you're going to exhaust your body that's going to cause it to need more recovery. Yeah. What was the perfect balance for you? So 14 hours was perfect balance for me. Other to undertake the tri- the triathlon, yeah, because fourteen hours gave me ten hours off the off my feet, uh, which allowed me because I had half an hour in the morning from wake up to being in the pool, and then I had at least half an hour getting back home. Really, once I packed up the car and all that, so that was an hour, and then it gave me another hour of of just leeway either side. So potentially fourteen hours means I'd be home at seven thirty. It gave me an hour at home to eat and stretch uh, and have a hot bath and a shower. And then in bed at 8.30, it gives me eight hours sleep. So 14 was the sweet spot for me. I think if I'd finished my run near home, you know, 14 and a half, I could have slowed down a little bit more even. But then that's more time on your feet, yeah. really. Where would so. you have slowed that down? Um, if you could go a bit slower. But then... Well, I wouldn't have. No, no. I wouldn't have. Yeah. I would have still... No, let's say if it's more... Hadn't I had I not been fit enough, right? I could have dealt with a fourteen and a half and still got eight hours sleep if I was closer to home. And even now, I probably still could have been fourteen and a half. But I, th- what you need to do is you need to be able to, in the best case scenario, stay in zone one all day. Do it quick enough that gives you at least half an hour uh, at home afterwards, and gives you eight hours sleep. So, minimum. If you're super fit and you can do a 12-hour every day in zone one, then this becomes even more sustainable for you because you then get 12 hours recovery. What would you do with all that time? Yeah. Yeah, well, you just put your feet up, recover, watch Netflix. Like, it'd be great. And the decker, like the real fast deckers do it in 12 a day. The the one-a-day decker people do it in 12. You know, it's, it's amazing. So... You're getting so much recovery that the next day you're fully recovered. You can go, you can do 12 again. Um, not to say that anyone could do 12 a day for 105. I think I think there probably is one or two people who could do that. It'd be risky because 12 is quite fast. But I, th- I think I think 14 is a sweet spot where it's enough recovery and you're not going in the red. Yeah, for me. But maybe 13 would could have been it as well. Mm. Could there ever be risk of having too much sleep? Um, only if too much sleep makes your quality of sleep bad. And that's an individual thing. I did try one night having nine hours. or I, One of my 13 and a half days or something, I think I had like eight, eight hours. I thought, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to bed like quarter to eight. And actually I had a terrible sleep because it was sort of almost too long in bed. So the quality was bad. And um, yeah, so that's an individual thing, I guess. But you find a sweet spot where your quality of sleep is perfect. So for me, it's seven hours, 45 minutes. 
So I get in bed now in real life at 9.30 and I fall asleep around 9.45 and I get up at 5.29 and I do half an hour of yoga. And then, man, my sleep is amazing. Like, it's perfect. If I try to sleep half an hour longer, the quality goes down. If I try and have less sleep, I'm not recovered enough in real life. So I've found my sweet spot of sort of around seven hours, 45 minutes. Um, and you, it's brilliant. And, and that, was that what you're doing throughout your iron distance triathlon? Um, similar, yeah. So I'd go to bed at 8.30 and then, you know, I was falling asleep pretty quick to be fair. Uh, but sometimes it was 8.35, 8.40, but around there. But I'd always get up at 4.29, so... And what things did you implement to make sure you had a good sleep hygiene? So uh, a shower to wash off all the um, sun cream yeah. and dirt. like, And I use soap, which is new to me. So I don't use, I've, don't use soap. So I haven't used soap in 10 years, other than on my hands. I wash my hands with soap and I use shampoo. But so First of all, why didn't you use soap along your body? What's, what's your thinking behind that? Uh, I ran out of soap once and I was like, two days is going by more. And I was like, well, I'll just not use it. I'll just use water and see what happens. Sort of just like, oh, it's more like a laziness stroke, inquisitive thing. Like, oh, I wonder, do I need soap? I don't know. I wonder if I do. I don't, and do you, know. you need soap? Uh, no. And it's not a thing. It's I'm not like trying to plant a flag in the ground and be like, we, none of us should wear soap. Use soap even. Uh, I've told Caroline, the moment I start smelling or look dirty, I'll start using soap straight away. Um, but it's been yeah to, yeah before we even met so and yeah still don't use soap now on my body I use it on my hands as I said and I shampoo but yeah for the first week I didn't use soap because I'm normally I just wipe myself down with water um, but I was sweating man I'd get hot sweats and I was just I think my skin couldn't breathe because I was lathering up with sun cream whilst you're sleeping you're yeah sweating. while I was sleeping sweating just really bad sweats and I think it was a bit of bit of cortisol levels there and just stress hormones causing that and high heart rate and just body trying to recover so there's all that but um i was like right i, th- I just need to right so i'm going to start using soap so i started using soap made sure my skin was clean 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 with all the oils off of it so it could breathe then i got in a super hot bath like scalding hot i've heard you talk about this yeah. why why so hot it's just to help sleep it just felt better it just I got out of that bath and my legs felt amazing. So all the pains had gone, ankles. My ankles were the, the weak point okay. overnight and in the morning. Uh, knees, not so much, mainly ankles, uh, feet and ankles. So that would fix them. And that means when I got into bed, they weren't in pain when I fell asleep. They'd be a little bit sore in the night, uh, often, almost every night, but going to bed didn't hurt. So after that, I then have, uh, have some food. Uh, often it was blended just so I could drink the meal just easier on my digestion then a little bit of stretching tiny bit of stretching and rollering like five minutes because um, I choose sleep over that even and then yeah in bed as, as close to 8.30 as I dared, dared do really you blacked out your windows blacked out double blackout windows so blackout blinds plus blackout curtains uh, earplugs just so I wouldn't wake up and then yeah I was gone. Fell and asleep pretty quickly. Was your was your phone in the room? Yep, phone was in the room with my alarm. So that was, that was yeah. your wake up alarm. Yeah, that was my wake up alarm. Four twenty nine. I had Justin, uh, who was staying with me. Uh, he would often have to come wake me up. I wouldn't hear the alarm because of the earplugs. And um, but yeah, I slept brilliant. I fell asleep very quickly, and I wake up a few times, but I was pretty happy with my sleep 
regime. There must have been a few days when you didn't have a great sleep. Yeah, yeah, not that many. Like the first couple, right. first three weeks, there were tons of days. Like okay. heart rate was super high, and I, as I said, I was sweating a lot with hot sweats. And that must have affected your performance the next day. Yeah, that affected my performance. And then I had this chest infection. I can't remember when it was now, but it was for weeks, for about two weeks. I had coughing fits at night. I remember visiting you when you had a cough. Yeah. Been, was that, 60, that was day 69 I came okay. to see you. Yeah. So around that, I had, God, oh, was bad. So I was sleeping upright almost. So I didn't sleep super well on those nights uh, because I was coughing. I, like Even Caroline was coming through and be like, do I need to call an ambulance? You know, because I was, I was sleeping in the spare room so that I wouldn't get woken up by the kids and whatnot. And uh, yeah, that was bad. So I had a few bad nights around the coughing, the few weeks of, of the cough. And um but on that, mostly, mostly okay. Yeah. Okay. Which it needed to be. I think I wouldn't have done co- pretty consistent times without yeah. good sleep, you know. You mentioned muscle management. You had a physio. You talked about some of the foam rolling. Did you stretch much? No, no, nothing. I did a bit of stretching in, before the pool, shoulders. Um, a bit of foam rolling and massage gun before the bike and the same before the run. And then I'd have the 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 roller, the hand roller uh, during the run. But I started using them less and less as my body sort of got used to it. I was doing physio every day for the first month and then chose sleep over physio after that. And that was a game changer. And then I'd only see the physio once a week or when I thought I needed it. Um, But yeah, it was mostly once a week. So what does muscle management mean in terms of these pillars? Yeah, so all that. Do you need massage? Do you need taping? Do you need ice bath? Do you need hot bath? Do you need, you know, rollering, stretching? You know, and that comes with experience, knowing what you need it, when you need it, and for how long you need it. And um, yeah, it's just thinking about that. What do you need to do to keep your muscles in a good condition for the following day? And it might just be sleep. It might be stretching. It might be rollering. It might be physio. It might be acupuncture. Um, yeah, or you just got to think of all those things to help your muscles recover and perform at a decent level, really. You are someone who famously um, created your own ice bath out of a whiskey barrel. Yep. Which was, you were famous because you discovered that there's whiskey in the whiskey I barrel did, that you yeah. bought. <laughs> Um, did you ever use the cold plunge? Uh, I did a few times and I found I just got cold and then she was shivering and it sort of like put my body into another bit of shock. So I stopped the cold, yeah, and went with heat instead. Because I think the cold plunge is a very interesting point because when you are out and about during your 14, 15 hours of exercise a day, sometimes I, I certainly feel like the worst thing to do is to then put your body through a cold shock therapy something that i don't really like to do myself when mm. i've already exerted my body is that what you were feeling um no i didn't i didn't mind the cold i quite like it like that didn't stress me out but i physically like my core got really cold like as soon as i hit put my feet in the water i was hypothermic like my body was just not kind of just not ready for it and so i'd be shivering and then i'd get out it'd take me ages to warm up and i didn't feel much benefits of it the following day um, because maybe I wasn't in long enough, you know, because if with, of course, if there's cold anti, you know, the cold anti-inflammatory would help recovery, but I, it just didn't work for me for this. I do it now 
and I do it with training now and I do it in the evening and I enjoy it. I've got a sauna as well. So I, I do cold, sauna, cold in the evening if I have the time. Um, but there I found hot worked better. And I'm not the only one. A lot of people who do do deckers will go home and have a hot bath straight away. We'll go to their hotel and have a hot bath over cold. So it's not sort of, I didn't discover anything new here. People have been doing it for a while. Um, but yeah, but I did try it. And I tried it a few times throughout. It's not like I tried it once or twice and gave it up. You know, I'd do it a couple of times and oh, that didn't work. And then I'd leave it 20 days and I'd be like, oh, let me try again. But then I think from day 50 or 60 on, I was like, right, I was nipping the cold thing in the bud here. It's just, it's not for me on this challenge anyway. So how was your health throughout this? And yeah. how did you keep track of your health? Um, yeah, just didn't want to get ill. So no handshakes. Luckily, COVID brought back the fist pump. So that wasn't a shock to people who came and joined me, uh, the fist pump thing. Um, yeah, no handshakes. Try not to get close to anyone. Um, trying to keep on top of it. I mean, I got this chest infection, as I said, with the cough. I uh, don't know how I got that. I probably got it at the pool. You know, it's a public pool. And um, probably got it there. Or I could have got it at the showers at the gym where I was getting changed. Um, not sure for the run and um, but yeah just hoping for the best I didn't sort of get COVID or anything worse yeah. really part of I guess of keeping your at least physical health was your sleep which we talked about your nutrition which you've also talked about was was having this low heart rates low intensity workouts really crucial as well because I guess if you ever raise your heart rate you're then pushing your body into into the red which you probably don't want to be doing if you want to keep consistent day after day yeah, I mean, I it got to a point where 110 was my heart rate and that's all my body kind of had in it. I could have pushed it higher, but as you said, it felt like I was pushing it higher. You know, even if I push it up to 120, that felt like a real effort. How did you manage that on the on the bike rides when you were with a group of stronger riders who were maybe on fresher legs? And um, Yeah, it was hard. Some days I just was like, ah, screw it. Let me just go up to 120. Um, but it got to the point that even... Even when the other riders were super fast, I could still keep up at a low heart rate. Like I, my heart was really conditioned by day 30 or something. I was I always had the lowest heart rate. You know, when people came and ran with me, I'd always ask, oh, I'm interested. Like, oh, what's your heart rate? And I'd be at like 105 when most people were at like 130. So um, I just, yeah, got good, 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 good cardio really. Uh, and there was times where I had to sort of politely ask, the cyclists to slow down especially new people who came for the first time they're all a bit excited and but the regulars sort of got to a good got to know the pace we wanted and not to pull out of junctions too quickly and there's a couple of bridge flyovers over the a55 that we needed to slow down on so um yeah it was uh yeah i was quite good mostly i did get caught up in the moment every now and then and <laughs> go too fast and then paid for it for days after but um, yeah, I was pretty good at managing that, I think. How did you manage your mental health? I didn't have to, really. I think most it was mostly good. I had a wobble in the middle when things weren't going well. With the, like, We hadn't raised as much for charity as I thought. Um, the Carolinas had a, just, she had a particularly tough day that day with the kids. And I'm thinking, well, you know, if, if we're not raising money for charity, no one really cares about this. Um, and Caroline's having a tough time. I'm leaving her in it for three months you know what is the point of this all so it, I, it was that one day where i sort of said oh well, what's the, what's the bloody point um but then i just cracked on and actually the next day i felt okay and 
the grandparents came and helped out and we raised a bit more money for the charity. And so it all sort of came together. But for the most part, my head is is my my strong bit. How much were you following numbers in terms of maybe your socials or the, like you said, the charity donations that were coming through? Yeah, o- only the charity. I didn't do social media personally for the whole three and a half months. I wrote my my daily blog and sent it to Justin on WhatsApp and he would update it. Um, but yeah, I didn't do any social media, didn't look. Uh, but yeah, of course, the charity numbers w- was important to me because we really wanted to raise that 100 grand. And yeah, I mean, by halfway, I think we were only on three grand. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it was bad. Yeah. yeah, it was super bad. But these things do take time to build. And, yeah, and I think exactly. sometimes you can claim to go, like go off and do something. It's like, I'm going to go do this. It's like, okay, great. Well, go and do it. But mm. come back to me when you've done it. Yeah, well, exactly. Because it's not a story then because yeah, anyone can try and yeah. go and do something. But it's not until they achieve yeah. it. No, exactly. But, you know, I still think, gosh, yeah, we did, we did get the 100 grand at the end. But to be only at three grand on day 50, we're like, Geez, you know, that was mm. disappointing, if I'm honest, uh, for me, just my personal goals. But as you say, people are sort of waiting until I'm nearer the end, right? They didn't want to give money towards something that wasn't going to happen. So I appreciate that now. But at the time, I was sort of like, come on, man, I'm struggling here. This, this is <laughs> If true. I'd said I was only going to do 50, you'd have given me money by now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like 50 would have been a, a, a worthy enough yeah. challenge for so many people. Well, exactly. Yeah. But it's not so, the record breaking. No, exactly. No. So, um, no, I get it now. You know, times are tight for people and they would just, you know, and I would be the same if someone was going to do that. I'd wait till day 101 as well. So True Venture Foundation, uh, the charity partner you chose to raise the funds for. Um, tell me about them. Yeah. So Ryan Morrison set it up. He's got two teenage daughters and he was noticing how it was a fight to keep them doing sport outside of school. And um, yeah, so he thought, oh, they must. why is this happening? And he looked into it and found out there was just loads of gaps and issues within the, the sort of the, the progression for kids to do sport and carry on doing sport in after school and, you know, when they've left school and outside of school times. And um, yeah, so he wanted to just put some money in a pot to allow youth clubs to apply for it um, as a grant system. And when I heard about that, I said, oh, you know, why don't I raise money for that pot as well? And then we'll have more money to give away. And um, he said, oh, that'd be great. So that's basically how it worked. So, I, you know, we've raised this hundred grand and I, I think 50 grand of that is going into a pot. So if you're a youth club in North Wales, at the moment we're targeting only North Wales. But if you're a youth club in North Wales, um, or an athlete, a young athlete, we're doing a young athlete grant as well. And you want some money to help you train or you, you're a club, you want some cash. You, you know, the True Venture have this money to give away now. It's, we're, you know, they're just giving it away. And I'm working with them. I'm volunteering tonight. I'm going to a youth triathlon event in Rithin, um just to show my face and chat to the people and just see how it works and see what avenues there are for kids to progress within youth sport. Um when I say progress, just be physically able to do it because they get to a point where, you know, it's they just like, well, there's no clubs now because there's no coaches because there's no nothing, no facilities. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's happening pretty much now. So it's exciting, exciting. We're just now trying to work out how we can kind of raise more money to keep it sustainable forever and ever because I think it's super important because only 39% of kids in North in Wales do sport outside of school. 39%. I mean, that should be, yeah. it should be 80%. Access to 90%. sport is a, is a fundamental right, I think, yeah. for all of us, but yeah. it is, yeah. 
can be so difficult with finances and just finances lazy parents you know not not knowing where to go to get kids into different types of sports expensive as well as you say like we wanted to send our kids to to swimming lessons it was wow we waited 14 months for the local council pool sessions which you still pay for but they're subsidized and the other option was 220 quid a month private to send two kids to a private sort of swimming classes where they just splash around the shallow end. 220 good a month. That's crazy, you know? So, yeah, there's lots of challenges. And I think this is where True Venture just going to say, well, we've got the cash. You know, if you're a club and you want to put on more youth swimming sessions and you want to pay a coach 20 quid an hour to do it, apply to us. You know, I say us. <laughs> it's not, it's Ryan Morrison's thing, but I'm sort of heavily involved as a, full-time volunteer almost um but yeah you know true venture will give you the money so it must be so rewarding to see the fruits of your labor in some sense that that you've actually done something and raised such a a huge amount of money to a local cause which you are so connected with and you can just kind of pop off to the evening and see what they're doing with the money that you've raised yeah exactly i think i think none of the money is actually implemented at the minute yeah we've only set up the grant but so it'll be in six months time we'll be able to get that little ego boost (laughs) which i love it you know it's i can't i can't deny i get a big thrill out of going and seeing something where a bit of the 105 money has gone towards and see some kids being active oh yeah i love it so i'm gonna carry on doing it this leads very well to another of your pillars community um, which I have maybe split into, maybe I'll ask what your, your view, view, vision of this is, but I think I've split this into three things specific to your Iron 105 challenge. It's the crew, it's the local community, and it's your family. And there may be other aspects of it. But I think what is so special about what you did is you placed yourself at home to go and do something epic. And you're someone who has traditionally done solo endurance events you've done a few things with communities one of the things you did a couple of years ago was do a marathon in all the national parks yeah and you met up with people and they ran a marathon with you 15 yeah. marathons in 15 days in 15 national parks it was a really nice uh, adventurous challenge that could involve other people and get them on board this you've taken this to another level you've had almost like an open route where people can join you for the bike and the run yeah it's been uh, a, a challenge which has taken over time which has enabled people to get on board and follow your journey and momentum and, and the local people local businesses local communities you really put this area in Flintshire on the map because of what you were able <laughs> to, 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 to do by, by yeah, setting a so. world record yeah. what does that mean to you so I didn't really think about it until it started happening you know, like I didn't think it would happen as as big as it did really as you know all the people that came and joined me and you know and these, when I say that, I'm talking about sort of the regulars, you know, let's forget day 102 and loads of people came for a one-off because they want to be part of this amazing day and I'm super grateful. I'm sort of talking about the people who like really landed up being corely affected in a positive way by this daft thing that some hairy ginger bloke was doing, right? And And it took a while, you know, some of these riders would come out day after day and like everyday James and Wrexham Simon and Clive and... Rain James, and I'm going to forget all the names now that I've started, but a whole, you know, they would come day after day after day after day after day. And I'm like, why are you doing this? What's, you know, you're taking days off work, you're calling in sick, you know, just to come and ride the same stupid 
50 mile course three times and then some extra um but you know they all just wanted to be part of it they all had their own little goals within it you know the one guy lost two stone in weight one guy wanted to do 12,000 miles this year and it was an easy way for him to do that or you know people were doing their first 100 milers uh, same on the, the run their first marathons their first half marathons and um and they just kept camp coming back and yeah that was a part of it that if there's going to be a legacy which i don't really care about much personally to have any sort of legacy but the fact that all these friendships were made between them and me but if you take me out of the equation they're going to be friends forever uh that'll be awesome and and it's already happened so when i did my double this weekend uh rain james was one of my regulars he came and supported me on the run for a bit then i had ian who again was one of my regulars he supported nicola on because she was running the 100 miler and nicola was one of the regulars who ran with me as well so there was this sort of like everyone's helping each other out now and then or teacher simon decided to do 24 hours on the iron 105 bike course and we all came out and rode with him i rode from 1 a.m to 8 a.m within the night and um yeah it was it was awesome this sort of this now ian's put it away so there's like there's, there's been an iron 105 hug around a whole group of people and now we're all in this little bubble and we're you know going to stay friends forever we're doing a pub crawl actually in in october of the bike course there's 10 pubs on that bike course and we're gonna go and visit all of them so you know and that's going to be a lot of all the, a lot of the regulars are going to come for that so um yeah it, it's been amazing and then, as you say there's the crew and my family and and that and they were always sort of the obvious community that I had had in my head and I thought, you know, that that was going to be it. But then to have all these other pe- random strangers become lifelong friends is, yeah, humbling and and probably the best memory that's come out of this from a positive point of view, other than achieving the record, of course. But yeah, it was the thing that made it sort of kind of manageable having that community around me, I guess. And how about your crew? There must have been a big community around you day after day, week after week. They're amazing. And I think I, I regret, I'm not very, I'm not good at compliments. I'm not good at receiving them. And I'm not really good at giving them. I'm, I'm very sort of self-motivated. And if someone says, Sean, I want to help you. In my head, I think, well, you're doing this because you want to do it. Don't expect me to go, oh my God, thank you so much. You're amazing. Every single five, every five seconds, because in my head, I want to know that you're doing this for you and that you're getting something out of it. And I don't want you to feel like, you know, you need my congratulations every five seconds. Because if you need my congratulations every five seconds, then I feel you're not in this for the right reasons. Uh, the problem is you, you need to tell people that you appreciate them, you know. So I, I regret. So to my crew listening to this, I apologize for not saying it enough, even though I felt it immensely. Every single day, these guys were freaking amazing getting to the pool the two chrises who did the morning shift getting to the pool super early making sure everything was good testing the water getting all my kit laid out you know arranging all my all my nutrition for the day for the swim and then the bike and then phil who was doing all the bike mechanics um you know making sure the bike was running sweet every single day i did my double now it's like there was a little creek i'm like this bike never creaked once on 105 days you know phil nailed it and then you know philip was following me at you know, doing the slowest bike ride in the world every single day, um, which, you know, was tough. He just sitting on a bike for seven hours a day as well. 
uh, and then having to, you know, do the laundry. You know, he was doing all my laundry as well. So he had all the crap jobs. He had all the dirty jobs, you know. Uh, and then Justin was up all day. You know, he was up at 4.20 with me and he would take me home, bring me home. So he did the, he did the full day. So the other two did, did sort of half days each. Um, but then he got weekends off. Um, but yeah, I sort of looking back now, I wish I'd been more vocal in my appreciation of them because I really did appreciate everything they did. They were incredible. Um, but yeah, I'm just not very good do you think giving this, compliments. Do you think this is going to change your relationships going forward? How you interact with people? I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I need. I definitely need to... to yeah. Because maybe you don't need it, but many people do need no, I don't. I, I don't. to feel appreciated. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and I'm, t- I'm just terrible at it, you know. <laughs> yeah, even even Caroline tells me, like, you know, I'm just very bad at saying, you know, oh, you did a good job, you know, on stuff. Um, no, no, sorry. I'm good at that. If someone's done a good job, I'm good at that. But if someone has volunteered to help me with something, I sort of, I forget that actually maybe they didn't want to do it <laughs> and they're doing it just for me. And uh, I need to be more vocal because I do appreciate it. It's not like I'm, you know, going like, oh, well, you know, I deserve you to help me. You should be helping me, whatever. You know, definitely none of that. You know, in my heart, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so grateful. I just don't use the words very often, which I should. So it's it's, it's something I'm going to work on. And one thing I really learned from our conversation we had on day 69 um, was... Uh, how much this challenge was a compromise in terms of how far you could push it because of your commitments to being a father and a husband. Yeah. I learned so much from that one day, just running with you for the five and a half hours of how strong you were mentally, physically, how conditioned you were to be able to do this day after day. And I saw how you operated and I knew at that moment that as Barring any kind of disastrous like bike accidents, you were definitely going to get to 102. And I knew you could push beyond that. And I even chatted to you and said, how far could you go? Yeah. yeah. And you knew you could go more. Yeah, it yeah. Didn't, you said it didn't scare you to go further, yeah, the yeah. 10 or the 20, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But you had a commitment to be a father exactly. and a husband, yeah. which is such a human element, I think, to this record is that you pushed past the boundary of James Lawrence of 101. He did 102. And then you just pondered for a few extra days. Mm. But there was always going to be, I guess, a limit to where you could leave it because of family. Yeah. So, I mean, Caroline and I had kind of quite long discussions on this exact thing uh, beforehand. You know, so I had numbers printed up to 123. Um, cause I just thought that was a, the next cool number to have them printed up to. And I, it was also a, may, a way of me manifesting this concept of not only am I going to do the 102, I'm going to go s- smash it and go way past it. Uh, and I sort of spoke to Caroline and before we knew just the stresses it would take on family life, you know, she says, well, if you need to do 123, you do 123, you know, you know, you're not doing this again. But then sort of when day 90 came around and we, I was chatting about this idea of going further. You know, Caroline was super supportive, but I knew, like, it was just, it wouldn't be fair to go and do another 20. Like, that was just another three weeks of 
of unfair stress on her for no real reason. Like I've got the record, I've got the record. So, but I didn't want to quit myself. So we sort of came up with this idea, like I was definitely going to do 103 because I wanted to know what 100, what doing one without having to do it would feel like. You know, would I just give up and go, well, I got the record now, so I don't care. Or would I thrive because the pressure was off? Uh, and it turns out I thrived. I loved it. Yeah, day one of three was amazing because I didn't have to, if I came off the bike, didn't bother, didn't, whatever. You know, I could be a bit slower, it didn't matter because, um, you know, the end was in sight type thing. And then I let the internet choose for 104, which I was, I, I was going to do that for, forever until the internet told me to stop. But it was so one-sided that I, I knew they would never tell me to stop. So then I thought, well, I'll just flip a coin from now on. And I knew that the coin would never get me to 123. And Caroline was sort of happy with that because she knew it would come within a, within a week, really. Well, probably within five days. It's, it's unlikely you get five heads in a row, right? Um, so that was it. Heads, heads, I carry on. Tails, I quit. So on day 104, it was heads. So I did day 105. And then on day 105, it was tails. And that was it. Which is a shame because I sort of was hoping to maybe go to like day 108 or 9 or 10. Um, but I, th- I sort of thought I'd never get past 110, uh, 110 even. Um, but no, it was it was 105 and that was it. So the coin told me to stop. So in my head, at least I didn't quit. <laughs> the coin told me to quit. So I'm fine with that, sort of. But yeah, I, could, I definitely could have carried on. When the moment you saw the result of the coin, how did you feel? Yeah, I was sad. Yeah, I was sad it was over. Yeah, definitely. Because... You know, I was doing something that no one else in the world was was doing or has ever done. Um, and I was giving that up, you know. So, yeah, it was bittersweet. Yeah, it was tough and difficult, but it was rewarding in the community. And seeing all these guys come out and ride with me every single day was awesome. And But, um, but yeah, it was time to quit. Like, I needed to come, come home and be a dad, really. So, it'll still be there. If no one's had a crack at the 200 and... 12 years time, 15 years time. If no one's had a crack of the 200, I'll do it. When the kids have... When the kids don't. Kids want me out there. When they're teenagers, they won't, they won't want me around. So, <laughs> How old you, will you be then? Yeah, 55. So I'll still be a good age. I think with the right bike course, you could do this. The right person could do this into their early 60s. If you look at Ironman times, they really drop off after about 64, 65 that you seem to lose your power then apparently. If you just look at the data, like people are still pretty strong into the early 60s and then they hit 64, 65 and the, the graph really. I mean, the graph's coming down anyway, but like it, it, it the recovery, you need way more recovery. Because I was speaking to Decker Dave, who just did this Decker in Switzerland. He's 64 now and he won the Decker, by the way, in Switzerland. Outright, beat everyone, no matter what age. 64, right? So he's incredible. So I, I sort of... Sort of every time he came and ran or rode with me, I was like, come on, yeah, Iron 106, Dave, come on. If there's one person who can do it, it's you. And he's like, I'm I, I'm keen, but I just, I think I've missed the age boat, he, he says. These coming out, words are coming out of his mouth. Um, but it's pretty impressive, though, you know. So I think I'd still have time. You know, James was 50, uh, 40, I want to say he was 46 when he did it. So, yeah, as long as you can keep uninjured and keep your recovery good um yeah you could be in your 50s for this i think your mom was at your 102nd day when you celebrated with a, a huge community of people 
um, down at Mold Leisure Centre when you ran laps of the little um, estate there. And she made me smile. And when I spoke to her, she said she she was so pleased. She said, like, you've spent years doing things on your own. And this is the first time you've really opened it up to community. And he, she was so happy for you just to see yeah. bringing everyone together. So I guess how does your experience by bringing community day after day, by having people run with you, having people cycle with you, by having hundreds of people turn up at your day 102, how is that going to shape how you do adventurous challenges in the future? I loved it, but there's a time and a place for it. I don't think it suits every challenge I do because there's some challenges where I would just want to be on my own and, and you know, because maybe I'm out for longer in the day. Because there was a definite cutoff at the end of each day, it sort of lended itself more to having people join me. And because it was laps, people could join for little bits. And I was coming back to the same spot. But let's say I did Lansing and John O'Groats and I wanted to go for the record, for example, which I'll never get, Dan Lawson's sub 10. But let's say I did want to go for a fast time. That wouldn't be as easy to have, have people with me the whole time because of road safety and I'd be tired and that one I'd have to because of the sleep deprivation and you're out for a little bit longer it would be a slightly different thing so there's it, it's, it definitely I'll probably definitely choose some challenges more now which has a, which will be able to have a community aspect to it like my national parks marathons that was the first time I'd done something where I'd invited people and then now with the Iron 105, I'll probably now look for things to do that have the community element for sure. But I don't think I'd have it on everything I do because sometimes it just wouldn't suit certain records. And some records you just need to keep keep small and keep your mind occupied um, on, some, on something else type thing. But uh, yeah, there's definitely a few more challenges I've got where... It'll be nice that people can join me, definitely. What motivates you? Uh, just breaking the record, yeah. You're someone who claims to do first, fastest, furthest. And most. And fr- frequent. Uh, frequent, yeah, yeah I know, I know. I'm trying one. to think of an F. <laughs> well, you, you put motivation as one of your pillars of endurance. Yeah. Does that go down to a mindset in the actual doing it, or is it, more about the motivation to want to do it and want to have that record. Yeah, for for me, I just want the record and that's enough motivation for me. There's obviously little side motivators like raising money for charity, which is quite a big one. Uh, you know, trying to impress my kids later in life. Um, you know, some cool pub stories, things like that. Getting to write the book. I love writing the book. If I don't do it, I don't get to write the book. Uh, um, so there's, there's lots of little things like these sort of metaphorical carrots I dangle. But um, yeah, for me, I'm quite self-motivated, really. I think once, once I want, once the record's there, and I know I can break it, or think believe I can break it, that's enough of a motivator for me. Yeah. So I'm not really. It's an unpopular opinion, but everyone's sort of says, "Oh, it's not about the destination; it's all about the journey." Yeah, it, it doesn't sit well with me, really. Like for me, it's the destination. Like I need to cross that finish line first basically <laughs> um yeah i'm not very good at just the journey i'm terrible on holidays caroline hates it um yeah so 
I'm quite self-motivated in that way, but I, I realize other people aren't. They need various things in place to keep them motivated. And yeah, it could be listening to music. It could be raising money for charity. It could be getting a PB, but you got to keep them really in the forefront of your mind when things are going tough. Otherwise, you're just going to bail. On your website, on the front page, it says adventure is simply a way of thinking. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I think you can live adventurously without climbing a massive mountain or rowing an ocean. You can just, you know, buy different foods at the supermarket, you know, go somewhere different on holiday, you know, read different books that you wouldn't normally read. I think there's, you can gain, get a lot of life adventure by just, you know, thinking a bit differently every single day. I definitely believe that. And I'm quite good at that. I flitter between lots of things. <laughs> that keeps it my life quite adventurous, I guess. Your final pillar, the the 11th pillar, discipline. Yeah. Why have you incorporated that? Well, I th- only thought of it during this double the other this weekend. Because I'm always thinking like, is, you know, if I'm going to write a book about the pillars of endurance, I need to not miss one. <laughs> you know, I don't want to get to the end and go, oh, there's actually one I forgot. That would have been good. So I'm constantly thinking about it. And I, th- I thought during the double, you know, there's a couple of people who were probably four hours quicker than me, but we had the exact same moving times, but they were four hours quicker than me on the double. Now, I know it's because I, I was wait- I waited for my cousin a few times because sort of I was using his crew because he signed up first and said oh well, if you sign you can use my crew and then you have to have crew following you so when i was an hour ahead of him i needed to wait so we could be together on the bike so we could share crew so there's a little bit of that but then i thought let's forget i'd waited for him what you know would i still have been you know i may have still been an hour slower with the same moving time and the only reason that would have been is because i wasn't disciplined enough to take shorter stops you know so I thought, well, maybe discipline is quite a big important part of, of it. But then it also the discipline actually comes across all the 10. You've got to be disciplined in the planning. You've got to be disciplined in everything else. So is it, is it its own category or is it just automatic that you have to do it? But then, you know, it is automatic that you have to eat and that's a category. So yeah, I might, I might add, I'm going to think about it a little bit more, but you really do have to be disciplined. Once you've got a system you've got to find a system you've got to have a system that works and you've got to follow the system if you want to do multi-day stuff for months on end and you've got to be disciplined enough to to you know to keep doing it once you know it works and not give up and not change the system and not get lazy and not cut shortcuts um and things like that because if you don't then you know it could come crashing down because for example, let's say you're prone to, to to getting sort of blisters or whatever. Even if you're not getting blisters, you should still probably be disciplined enough to put some Vaseline on the bit of your foot every single day just in case a blister comes because if you're not, you might get a blister without knowing it because you get a bit lazy. So it's a lot of and to be disciplined to drink when you need to drink even though you may not be thirsty and eat when you need to eat even though you may not be hungry. So yeah, I think I'm going to, I need to work out a way of putting that properly more eloquently, I guess. But I think everyone understands discipline, but it's, it's you know, m- really overanalyzing it and being super, super determined on the whole discipline thing. Going forward, how are you finding your next challenge? 
I've notoriously in the past done nothing for months after. And I spoke about this earlier, but I want to keep the fitness on this. And what I really want to do is find fulfillment in shorter events. And that's why I did the double this week, this last weekend. And that's why I'm doing the 100K in, in the Lake District in two weeks' time. And that's why I signed up for all these other little events. And I'm actually quite excited about them. I've never done them before. I've only ever done one marathon race, London Marathon. I did a Tough Mudder once. And I did a 50K Ultra a couple of years ago. And now this um, this double. So I've only ever done four organized short events ever. And I quite enjoy them now. I actually quite enjoyed this double um, as a short, you know, 40 hours. Just I got quite quite a lot of fulfillment out of it over a short amount of time. Didn't really put too much pressure on the family. So I think that's what I'm going to try and do a little bit more of over the next couple of years. Just try and be quite competitive as well. Not just complete, but be fairly competitive. Like maybe I could win the double next year. I don't know. Maybe I could. Like that would be a cool thing to focus towards. Trying to, you know, be very good at slightly shorter stuff. I think an, an Ironman's too short for me like well, in fact i know it's too short for me um and maybe even a double's too short for me but the cool thing once you start getting above a double you have no competitors that's the only downside like 25 people did the double this year only five did the triple and i was like well i'd rather race 25 people than five people because <laughs> five people three people two people might drop out of five then you've got the podium anyway no matter what position you come whereas on you know on 25 i think five dropped out so you had 20 finishes um but with these little challenges, you can't necessarily get your sponsorships, deals. You can't write a book about generally these little things. So there's going to be fundamentally bigger things that's going to come in the future. Absolutely, it's, yeah. Because it's part of essentially your career. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Watch your space. <laughs> no, I think, I think my sponsors are really supportive. I think if I went to them and said, right, over the next 12 months, I'm going to be doing 12 epic shorter races and we all let's create a series of content around me doing them and and you know really sharing a different side to to what I normally do you know training for something shorter for me anyway um and showing people a bit more of of maybe what's possible i hate this thing like oh it's more relatable if you do that i'm like i don't want to be relatable man <laughs> like it just does not excite me at all like there's a million other people out there who can be relatable if you want to be find some inspiration like i want to be the person that's does something so scary that you go well if he can do that i'll do something down here like and yes i'm hoping some people will also want to do the hard stuff as well but there's no point in dropping my bar to make someone else's bar feel higher like i don't like i think there's there's a famous quote you know if you dim your light to make another light someone else's light seem brighter eventually the whole world's in darkness right so the uh yeah so i don't i i sort of have no space in to kind of lower my own goals and expectations just to be more relatable um i don't think that's healthy for me so but you know trying to win a double that's not me lowering my bar that's really hard because <laughs> it's fast you know people are really fast on the bike really fast runners you know people who win doubles are sub three hour marathon runners you know so they're they're quick so um in a normal marathon so yeah i think 12 months of those i think will be exciting you know? Is there anything on the horizon or ever considered doing something that doesn't involve running, swimming, cycling? 
Mm, no, no. Because in terms of having an adventurous mindset, reading, yeah. reading different books, buying different food, would you ever take yeah. on something that was just a foreign? As long as it wasn't like too quirky, you know, you get these records where it's like, oh, I went down a river on a you know, tractor tire or something. Um, so for me, it would have to sort of be fairly mainstream to be a legitimate record. Um, otherwise, it falls into the sort of the quirky category and I'm not really up for that. Um, so, yeah, maybe canoeing. Canoeing could be one. You know, even something like stand-up pedalboarding for me feels a little bit sort of quirky and niche for for records. And I like I like records that have been around for a long time as well. Um, or, you know, like anything cycling-related, people have been cycling for 200 years, right? Whereas people only sell stand-up pedalboarding for 10 years. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, at the moment, not really. I, I like swimming, cycling and running. And I don't want to get worse at them just you're very the good at them yeah yeah i don't i don't want to get worse at them just to potentially tick a different box but never say never and it's the 10 15 years of of doing that that well, exactly. enables you to do iron 105 well exactly yeah yeah i'm going to close thank you very much for your time i'm going to close with i suppose a little comment on on, on where we are we're in wales and I know that you've lived in different places. You've lived in London. You've lived in Lake Districts. There've been other places in the UK. Worcester, Cheltenham, uh, Cambridgeshire. And I think perhaps it was due to COVID. You had to you situated yourself here, um, not knowing if it's going to be the future. Um, it's close to Caroline's parents. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you had two young kids in yeah. um, in the last four or five years. Um, you're born in Zimbabwe. That's right. Raised in South Africa lived in the uk for many many years now um i suppose why do you choose to do so many of the challenges here in the uk but also i mean it's a double loaded question here you've been in wales for a few years now you represented welsh triathlon they were supporting you they were there on the day of 102 you've raised money for a welsh charity you even had the welsh colors on your jersey that you wore every day yeah what does it mean to be representing wales in the uk like this yeah i sort of feel like i'm a person of the world i have four passports so i sort of when people say oh where are you from it's like well actually it's not an easy question for me yeah i was born in zimbabwe that is factual uh i grew up most of my childhood in south africa I have Irish family, so I've got an Irish passport. I lived in England for a very long time. And now I've married a Welsh girl and, you know, she's born and bred Wales and now son is born and bred Wales and I now live in Wales. So I, I, I guess I'm a bit of a chameleon. I'll sort of, you know, get somewhere and I'll be fully passionate about that thing. And then, you know, we'll probably move to Timbuktu in five years time and then I'll be flying the Timbuktu flag forever but um no I'm kidding I, I love Wales I love living here I will probably be here forever uh grandparents are here I've got cousins in in, in Cheshire just over the border but um yeah I love it I do love it so and I'm I want to I've never got fully invested in a in it because I always thought myself as a bit of a loner and I'm a bit of a loner and I, I mostly enjoy being a loner I never get lonely ever so I do like it, but I also now realize that actually I want to be part of a community and part of something. And Iron 102 was sort of the catalyst for that. And I, you know, I've never joined any clubs, for example, but now I'm going to join the swim club and the bike club and I want to 
go riding with other people, which normally I've never done. I've always just done everything on my own. And now, yeah, I want to I want to fly the Welsh flag for youth sport. Um, and it, I'm super passionate about it. And because I live in Wales, I might as well. There's no point in me flying the flag for Zimbabwean sport living in Wales. So uh, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, passionately from now on. I think it's a really nice way to, le- to, to leave it because it seems like you're very much home within the Welsh hills, with the lovely Welsh valleys yep. which you see around you. Yeah. The Welsh weather as well, which you're more than capable of dealing with <laughs> yeah. because you put yourself through misery yeah. day after day, yeah. many times before. Yeah, I mean, I lived in the Lake District, which has rained more than it rained here. So actually, this is quite sunny now. <laughs> All right, Sean, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Anytime, yeah. Thanks for having me, mate. It's been awesome. And thanks for hosting me here in, yeah, in, my, in my little office. Glad you, all your kit fitted in. Just, just about. <laughs> just it, about. It was tight. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Nice one, mate.